And so, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. We are a people and a nation that have truly been blessed by God. Of all those who give thanks and praise his name, we should be at the top. We are so blessed. And it is not uncommon to compile wish lists. Some of uh, us might already have a list. Certainly our kids might have already been writing things down, grandkids. I want this Could, uh, for Christmas. You know what I'd love to get? And you're like, guys, it's June, okay? We need to relax, stop. But people make lists for Christmas and, and maybe draw lists for New Year's resolutions that usually last a week or two. But there's another list that we often look, overlook, and that's, that's a Thanksgiving list. And I've, I've mentioned this in this pulpit before. I, I love, I think a Thanksgiving list is fine. If you want to make it public and take the next 30 days and tell all the world on Facebook what you're thankful for, that's fine. But I'm just saying, even if you don't share it, just a list that, that man, instead of just what I want, here's what I'm thankful for. And so tonight, I want to preach just for a minute to speak to you on praise, provision, and preference. Praise, provision, and preference. Lord, thank you so much for being here before we ever got here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your mercy, your grace. We honor you tonight, hopefully with our worship, with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, with what's in our heart, God. And so I pray that you would just anoint me, speak through me tonight for our short time together, that our hearts and minds would be receptive to the, the principles of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you thankful for? Well, I'm going to read part of a list that, now this is a list that several housewives compiled. That does not mean that I'm like sexist or saying that, you know, only wives need to stay home or wives should, because there's jokes about kitchen and stuff in here. So I just want to preface this, that like it's just a list that I came across, so don't get all frustrated. But they said, I'm especially thankful for automatic dishwashers because they make it possible for us to get out of the kitchen before the family comes back for their after-dinner snacks. For husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house because they usually make them big enough to call professionals. For children who put away their things and clean up after themselves. They are such a joy that you hate to see them go home to their own parents. <laughs> I don't know if that happens to you. Like, m people will come to my house and I will be like, what in the, like, this is, this just, this, this just happened, okay? Like, we had some friends from Wisconsin stay with us a few weeks ago. Well, we just went and stayed a couple nights with them. So it was kind of refreshing to see because they were like angels in my house. And I was like, what in the world? So then I get to go to their house and see them in their surroundings. And it's like, okay, so this doesn't happen everywhere. This is, this is, this is good. For teenagers, because they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. For smoke alarms, because they let you know when the turkey's done. 
Now, our list might not be as some of theirs, but I'm convinced that if we began to make a list, we'd find much more to be thankful for than just our material possessions. Like you, I'm sure my list would include things like life, health, family, friends, the nation, despite all its flaws. But even more than that, I'm thankful for salvation for our church family, for the mercy that God showers upon me every single day. With Jesus, I have so much to celebrate on Thanksgiving. Our forefathers had a boundless faith in God, and that almost sounds strange today as people argue about politics and about principles and about energy and education and things that do matter. But for me, I still, first and foremost, want to know about principles. I want to know, what about convictions? What about, what about things that the Word of God says that still matters to me when I go to vote for someone? And so... Our, our hallowed declaration of independence proclaims after we know that we're one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, right? Our, our, our declaration proclaims we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And it ends with these words, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Man, that sounds like a neat place to live. Thanksgiving Day is a, is a distinctive holiday which comes next Thursday. It doesn't commemorate a battle or anyone's birthday or anniversary. It's just a day set aside to give thanks. It's simply just it's there, we exist on that day, and we're set it aside to give thanks. How ironic, though, that it comes the day before, the biggest shopping day of the year. And when I was growing up, it started Black Friday early morning. Then it went to like midnight, and now the stuff starts on Thanksgiving. So you're not even done eating your Thanksgiving meal, and you're already online buying stuff. There's nothing wrong with shopping and looking for deals. And sometimes, you know, growing up for us, it was more about the family hanging out and having a good time. Go do it. Have fun. But don't just buy and want more before stopping to thank and to be grateful. In 1789, George Washington made this public proclamation. I'm just reading a part of it because it's long. But by the president of the United States of America, a proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of God Almighty, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his, pro her, his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. This nation was separation in church and state. Go study your history. That was so that no one could ever tell anybody where to go worship again. It did not mean that biblical principles would not get into government. Somewhere along the line, people twisted that. You read inscriptions all over Washington. I'm not saying that any president in history, I don't care, Libertarian, Green Party, Republican, Democrat, I am not saying anybody has ever been perfect. But we have 
history records words of presidents that acknowledged and worshiped and thanked a divine creator. I would love to have a president in office, whether that's this year, next year. I hope it's Joe Biden if he's going to stay in office. I want a president that's going to say, uh, let's, let's thank Almighty God. Let's praise God. Let's worship God. I don't care what party you're a part of. If you just get me back to biblical principles, that's what I want. Got to be careful anytime you touch on anything politics. But I think it's safe to say you would expect a pastor to say, I want a president that's going to follow biblical principles. And so both houses of Congress, he says, have requested me to do this. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all all the good that was, that is, or that will be. The first Thanksgiving proclamation. Beautiful. Beautiful. Our nation prepares to give thanks once again. One would assume that because of the example of our forefathers, because today we have so much that we would be an extremely grateful people. We're blessed. But sometimes it's quite the opposite, isn't it? The more we get, the less thankful we become, the less mindful of God we become, and the more we want. And uh, I think the 100th Psalm was written to deal with the attitude, that attitude, to remind us, be thankful. Be thankful unto him. Bless his holy name, right? Scripture says the 100th Psalm was written for Israel, but look previously, when you go before that, to what God says to his people, the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, it says, and it shall be. When the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, they hadn't been to the promise, they're not in the promised land yet, and God is saying, hey, remember these things when you get to that land, that promised land, and he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. So just remember, I'm going to give you some things you don't even need to work for. I'm going to just bless you. And houses full of good things, which thou fillest not. And wells digged, which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full. I'm going to bring you into some incredible blessings that you didn't even necessarily earn. Then beware, though, that thou forget the Lord. Which brought thee out of the land of Egypt in the house of bondage. Just, just, I'm just reminded, you know, I'm going to take you out of this land. I'm going to give you a land of promise. And you're going to be blessed. And you're going to get things you didn't even work for. Just please remember, when you look around your houses and you see things and you experience things and eat things, you didn't even have to work for it. Just remember how blessed you are and don't forget God. 8.2, Deuteronomy 8.2, he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And then verse 7, it says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. Sounds amazing. Sounds like a water park or something, my goodness. A land of wheat and barley and vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive and honey. Sounds incredible. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full. 
Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land that he's given you. Beware that thou forget not. It seems like there's a theme. Why does he keep repeating this? Because humanity never changes. Beware that thou forget not and not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command thee these, this day, lest thou hast eaten and are full, and you've built good houses, dwelling in these beautiful homes. When thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and silver and gold is multiplied, all you have is multiplied, your heart would be lifted up and forget God, that he's the one that brought you out of bondage and got you all these things. Here's the things. Heads up, be careful, don't forget. Verse 17, thou see in thine heart, my power and the mud of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. I'm just warning you guys, God's gonna do great things, but just be careful, don't let it go here. God's the one who bless. Make sure that we don't let our hearts get lifted up, but instead lift our hands and worship him. You go move forward, fast forward. Judges 8.34, God's people are in dismay. They're in trouble. And scripture says, and the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Just a warning. Just a warning. Here's another warning. Just a warning. Here's another warning. But sometimes the people going through the wilderness can do okay, but their kids, their kids, kids, their kids, 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 sometimes have it so easy and have walked that way so long that you just forget. But it's our job to make sure that that is passed on from generation to generation that says, I know we're blessed. I'm not going to say I don't want to be blessed. My goodness, I want to be blessed. But I want to bless God back with a grateful and a thankful heart. I don't ever want to say, yeah, it's my hard work that earned this. It's my education that earned this. I'm the one that I have a good resume. I'm the... Lest thou forget, as you're eating good food and driving nice cars and working good jobs and living in beautiful homes that are filled with beautiful things, don't forget, God's the one that did it. If we're not careful, like the Israelites back then, we can start thinking, well, God owes me something. Accusing God of forgetting me and forgetting my prayers, questioning whether he hears my prayers and getting frustrated when he doesn't answer in the time and the manner which I think he should. You know, you think about this. When things do go well, sometimes we don't give him the credit. <clears throat> you ever think of this? Sometimes God gets questioned when things go wrong. And our education and work ethic gets the credit when things go right. It's kind of like God is in a lose-lose situation sometimes in his relationship with humanity. How'd you get that job? Well, I was searching on Indeed. I looked on here. I prepared my resume. I submitted this. You know, I have a lot of years of schooling, and, you know, I, I, there's three different places I work for. I bring in a lot of, a lot of experience, and uh, so I, I put down references. They called my references, and everything checked out, and, uh, yeah, they, they felt like I was a quality candidate. I interviewed very well. They had a whole panel of people asking me questions. I feel like I knocked it out of the park. Why didn't you get that job? I don't know, I'm frustrated with God right now. I submitted applications. Literally, he's not blessing me with this job. Let's just pause and go, God, all good things. 
come from you. Scripture says that. All good things. It's impossible to experience the full blessings of the Lord if we're not willing to walk in faith. Faith that he not only exists, but that he also has our best interest in mind. I was talking to somebody recently who was talking about, <laughs> I've, been, I've actually been talking to more than one person <laughs> that has been kind of talking about some of the things, the challenges that they've been going through, and it seems like everything's going wrong, and we talked about how this is not an accident, and things are not going our way in the things that we anticipated or thought, and I'm there, this happens to me too. Um, what often comes next after that is a new season of depth. Because when our plan works to perfection, that does not require a deeper level of faith. But when our plan does not work to perfection, that is where we can say, I want to go deeper, I want to go deeper. And sometimes we think deeper means like instead of praying 15 minutes, I'm going to pray 30 minutes. And there is a depth that comes with commitments and consecrations like that. But some depth comes from going through life and going that did not work out like I wanted it to work out. Well, God, here we go. Because I know that you have my best interest in mind. Right now, it hurts. It's frustrating. It's confusing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen next. But I know all things work together. And so if I continue on this, if I continue my pursuit of you, I know that at some point, even if it does not make sense to me, I know that you are developing things in me that is going to make me who you want me to be. And that's depth. You see, remember this beautiful scripture. It's a reminder in Matthew 6, verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. That's all I have to say. You're dismissed. I just read the word of God. Don't worry about everyday life. Has anyone mastered that? Anybody got it down? I mean, you just, you never have a worry every day you wake up. <clears throat> Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to drink, food and drink, or if you eat enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in, in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? The irony of the statement, as we know, it actually detracts from your life. Not only can a worry not add to your life, worrying will actually end your life sooner. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the valley, how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he certainly is going to care for you. Why do you have so little faith? This is one of those passages when you... When, you're, when you go to church for a long enough time, you've all heard, like you, you hear this, not necessarily you all. But if you've, if you've gone to church for a long time, you've probably heard this read. And it's one of those that we listen and go, hmm, good stuff. Yeah, that's good. But when you really go, hang on, I see myself in this passage. 
because I worry and I think about clothes and food and money and future. And, and here God is going, hang on a second. Can I just appeal to your reasoning here? Why are you so stressed? Because God, blah, 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 blah. I, I told you I was going to take care of you. <laughs> he says, if God cares, in verse 31, so don't worry about all these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, will, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. He said, so I'll tell you what to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. New Living says, and he will give you everything you need. Put him number one above everything and everyone else. That means even studying. Oh, yeah, I'm going to study. I'm going to prepare resumes. I'm going to do all these things wherever, wherever your lot in life is that you're pursuing right now. But if I have a choice to study for five hours and pray for an hour or to study for six, our brain says that extra hour of study is going to make all the difference in the world. But no, I'd like to start my study time with prayer so then I can go, God, you created this brain. And so this brain, you could somehow make this as I go into this time of study. You can allow this brain to saturate this information so fast. So, Lord, can you just touch what I'm about to do right here? Everything that we do needs to be led by God's Spirit. And God says, I'm going to give you everything you need. He promises to be our provider. But what he provides <clears throat> often does not translate into what we want. Don't worry. I will give you everything you need. Yes, that Lamborghini's mine. I've been watching that every day. It sits there on the parking lot. I've been claiming it in Jesus' name. I've claimed about 11 church buildings over the last 10 years. <laughs> One of them might be ours, but God ain't told me yet. So you know what he's doing in the meantime? I'm teaching you to just trust me, and you're going to go deeper in this process. My provision is sometimes different than my preference. My provision is sometimes different than my preference. I always feel really good about myself when I see two or three people writing or typing. I'm like, yeah, I said a good thing tonight. <laughs> you know, your dream is to always up, end up on a Twitter feed or something. You know? <laughs> if we're not careful, instead of being thankful for our provision, we instead complain because we're lacking in our preference. Oh God, you've promised me you will give me everything I need. But I created a Christmas list. There are several things on that you have not given me, and I need these things. Well, I think I look back and he talks about I'll give you food, drink, and raiment. So his provision and our preference are sometimes two different things.
And if we're not careful, we actually will, st- we will lose our focus on offering thanks for provision and instead get frustrated at our God who's our provider because he did not provide our preferences. I don't want my thanksgiving based on how much I have. I don't want next Thursday for me to go, wake up in the morning and go, it is Thanksgiving. I pray every day is Thanksgiving for us. Not necessarily the food. That wouldn't be too healthy for us, probably. <laughs> that would be awesome, though. I mean, probably get old at times, but could have like a rotating Thanksgiving dinner that people just, oh, my goodness. It'd be wonderful. I'm not even fasting, and it sounds good right now. But do I have enough turkey? Is there enough money in the bank? Am I healthy? It's a fair question. But even if I'm not, I still want to offer him thanksgiving. What kind of car am I driving? What's my future look like? Is my job secure? All these things. I, I don't want my thanksgiving to be based on how much I have. Because honestly, no matter what I do or do not have, he's still worthy of my thanks. And so the psalmist says that all of these things may change at any time. They may drift away, burn up, someone could steal them. The only thing we have for sure is our relationship with God. In the 100th Psalm, you just scan this 100th Psalm. Verse 1, you'll find the name of the Lord. Verse 2, you'll find the name of the Lord. Verse 3, you'll find the name of the Lord. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. 5, you'll find the name of the Lord. The basis of our thanksgiving is our Lord. And you look at a couple insights as we turn the corner to bring this to a close, but just look through Psalm 100. You got the first verses. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. New Living Translation says, shout with joy to the Lord. All ye earth, all the earth. It means to shout with force of a trumpet blast. A shout of joy to the Lord comes from the very depths of our being. Maybe, maybe he solved your problem. Maybe he's given you direction. Maybe he's provided a blessing. You realize it's come from God. So the depths of us go, God, I offer you praise. Roland Allen tells about a veteran missionary who came up to him one day after he delivered his sermon. The missionary introduced himself and said, I was a medical missionary for many years in India, and I served in a region where there was progressive blindness. People were born with healthy vision, but there was something in that area that caused people to lose their sight as they matured. But the missionary had developed a process which could arrest progressive blindness. So people came to him, and he performed the operation, and they would leave realizing that they would have become blind, but now they were going to be able to see for the rest of their lives because of this. He said, you know what? They never said thank you to me because that phrase was not in their dialect. He said, instead, they spoke a word that means, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. Wherever they went, they would tell the name of the missionary who had cured their blindness. They had received something so wonderful that they needed to eagerly proclaim it to everyone they met. And this psalmist is saying, suddenly you realize God has been so good to you that you cannot keep it in anymore. 
It's not just thank you. It's I will tell your name everywhere I go, everyone I talk to. God forbid that if we were blind and all of a sudden we received our sight, that we would tell everyone we know about that more than I was headed toward hell in an everlasting flame, and God stepped in, and he allowed me to repent of my sins. He died on the cross, opening the way for me to repent of my sins, have those sins washed away in the waters of baptism. I came out of those waters with my hands raised, speaking in tongues, received the gift of God's Spirit. I got to tell everyone I know that I was delivered from an eternal grave. Lord, I want to tell your name. And so I give thanks with my mouth, but not just verbal worship, but telling everyone I know about what he's done for me and my family. Verse 2, he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. It doesn't say serve the church, serve the preacher, serve the leaders, serve the organization. It says serve the Lord. The Bible teaches that if we witness on his behalf, if we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, if we work for God, everything we do, we do wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. And Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. Maybe we serve at times out of feeling an obligation, fear of guilt. We, maybe we, because we want to draw attention to ourselves. I don't know. We might all serve for different reasons. Some days we might serve, oh, bless God, I've prayed and fasted for my area of service. Some days we might be like, I'm exhausted. I wish I wasn't on the schedule today. That happens sometimes, and then my wife says, honey, you're the pastor, you gotta go. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. You heard that joke about the guy that woke up and said, I'm not going to church. Nobody there likes me. Everybody's mean to me. People talk bad about me. And she said, honey, get your clothes on. We got to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> no matter what we do, though, I don't serve just because Jacob asked me to serve on security or Matt asked me to serve because Noah asked me to serve in AV because Rich and Jen asked me to serve in children's ministry. I serve. Because I want to have my hands on the, in on the kingdom. I want to serve wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Everything I do is unto him. And he says, know ye that the Lord is God. It's he that made us. Not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. God took every bone, every joint, and he welded them together. He gave us muscles and covered them with skin. He gave us eyes that see, brains that think, fingers that can pick things up. God made us inside and out. He made you the way you, he wanted you to be. You can look at yourself and say, I want to change that. I want to pay for surgery for that and change that color. And I want to do this. Why? God made you the way you are. And God's your maker and he created you in his image. And so we give him thanks because he does all things well. It's funny, you talk to people with curly hair and they want straight hair, and straight hair wants curly hair. And people that are skinny wish they were bulkier and had more muscle. People that were bigger were like, I wish I was skinnier. My Lord, I just wonder if God's ever like, I can't make anybody happy. <laughs> but he looks at us and says, it is good. And that needs to be what matters to us. But he says, we are the, his people, the, 
the sheep of his pasture. But here's the thing. We want to be shepherds, not sheep. Well, I got an idea. Let's go this way. God's like, could I lead? I was just offering you an idea. I offer God lots of ideas. And it seems like he doesn't take them a lot. And then time goes on, and I'm like, thank God he didn't take my idea. But he's saying, you be the sheep. Let me be the shepherd. You know why? You don't know where the still water is. I've been there. I've walked this road. I've already been up this mountain, down that hillside. I've been by those plains, and you're trying to tell me where we need to go. I've walked. I'm the shepherd. Let me lead you. Can you trust God enough to let him lead? I'm thankful that he's even willing to lead me. Verse 4, he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. There are two major components, and I'm just about done. Two major components that I see in this verse. Thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise. Every single time we enter the presence of God, we must always bring these two things. It does not mean that we cannot intercede, that we cannot ask anything. He tells us, ask. He says, knock, seek. He says, make your request known to me. These are all biblical things. It does not mean that we cannot do those things. But there should never be a time that we come into his presence and we do not bring praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. Think about if he's our heavenly father, think about your own family, your own kids. Think about your friends if you don't have kids. Christmas time rolls around, you went shopping, you got your friend a good gift, you wrapped it. You, even if you can't wrap, the thing looks terrible, but you did your best. And they open it up and they're like, oh yeah, I already got that. Or they just walk off. You're like, give me that gift back, man. At least say thank you. My kids, you need to say thanks. I read a parenting article sometime somewhere that said, trying to tell kids to make them say I'm sorry or thank you, it's not really helping. They need to learn that through life. And I'm like, you're a knucklehead because who's going to teach them? Where are they going to learn? They're going to learn it from me. So I will say, say thank you. It's our culture. I'm reading a book right now. Raising, how, what was the title of that book? Raising, Raising Grateful Children in an Entitled Culture. Because God has blessed us, but I do not want my kids to just walk in. Give me that. Give me that. I want that. I don't say thanks for anything. But what this book says is if you're raising entitled children, it's probably partially your fault. And I was like, mm. so I threw the book away. I'm not reading it anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. Still making my way through it. We must always bring thanksgiving and praise. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Truth is still truth here in 2022. 
God has been so merciful to me. And if you got nothing else to think, if I've literally spoke for the last 30 minutes and you're like, I still got nothing. I got nothing. God, my life is terrible and I got nothing else to be thankful for. I will give you this last scripture and this is the greatest thing to be thankful for. And that's Psalm 103.10. Psalm 103.10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. He has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. The wages of sin are death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're a sinner and so am I. There was supposed to be no hope, no help. Our, 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 our eternity was already, it was already decided because of our actions. But God manifested himself in flesh. And he took on this the likeness of sinful flesh, Scripture says, and allowed himself, when he could have called down angels, allowed himself to be nailed to a tree and beat to death and died on that cross so that in 2022, someone who doesn't deserve it, he can say, I paid your price already. It's done. I blotted out the ordinances. It's taken care of. If you, all I'm asking from you is just follow my plan for your life. Just go ahead, follow my plan for your salvation. Let's walk together. I've always wanted to have a relationship with you anyway. And that is why I can say if I got nothing else, if the car is broke down and the house is broken and the job gets lost and the doctor says the health isn't great, I can still say yet I will praise thee because you are so good to me, God. You are so wonderful. You are so worthy. Would you stand to your feet? Rudyard Kipling was a great writer and poet whose writings we've all enjoyed. Unlike some old writers, Kipling was one of the few who had an opportunity to enjoy success while he lived, not just after. He also made a great deal of money at his trade. One time a newspaper reporter came to him and said, Mr. Kipling, I just read that somebody calculated the money you make from your writings amounts to over $100 a word, even back then. Mr. Kipling raised his eyebrows and said, really, I, I certainly was not aware of that. The reporter cynically reached down into his pocket and pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to Kipling and said, here's a $100 bill. Now, give me one of your $100 words. Kipling looked at the $100 bill for a moment, took it, folded it up, put it in his pocket and said, thanks. He's right. The word probably a million dollar word not a hundred dollar word it's one that's too seldom heard and too rarely spoken and too often forgotten if we could all adopt the attitude of thanks psychologists today tell us that sincere gratitude thanksgiving is the healthiest of all emotions the father of stress studies said that gratitude produces more positive emotional energy than any other attitude in life and a thankful heart endears us to others and endears us to our creator because he told us to live a life of thanks. So tonight, as we open these altars, praise God because he's worthy. Enjoy the promise of provision, but don't let preference dictate your heart for thanksgiving. I invite you to find a place to just come and thank God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's kept you from, 
What has he provided? What has he blessed you with? Who has he put in your life? There's so much. We can pause and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for washing away my sin. Thank you for dying on Calvary. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. God, I thank you tonight. 